When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. May I present a pair of fellow sophisticates? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Curling! Skeleton! The Nordic Combined! It's time to break down sports we see once every four years. It's Winter Olympic Talk! With Mackey and Judd. I think Tom Pelissero here has hit on another one in our in our theme of the day, which is, aren't all Olympic sports like the double luge better when there's two guys on one apparatus? Ski jumping. I think you've nailed it. Two guys or gals on the same pair of skis, arms outreached, trying to fly as far as they can. It would basically be like the Dumb and Dumber motorcycle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where like the other guy's just kind of peeking out from the back. Is he holding on with one arm and one arm outstretched? Is he holding on with two arms? It's hard to say. You could make an equal argument for doubles long or ski jumping as you could for doubles luge. There's no reason for a second person on the apparatus, yet here we are. <laughs> it's amazing. There are two separate seats, it looks like. As you watch the double luge, it just looks like one guy is laying down on top of the other. He does have his butt on a different seat, which makes it a little less weird, but not much. <laughs> No, it doesn't. It's equally as weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very weird. Like, how do you get into that for the first time? Is there some trepidation? <laughs> Wait a second. So I'm going to do what now? I'm going to lay on top of you facing, okay, and what's my responsibility? Just don't fall off? Okay. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. The Olympics, everybody. Um, Tom, I've got some football questions for you. How about two people and they're each wearing one skate? Yeah. For ice dancing. Like a TC bear-sized skate? Right. Because, yeah, they're both stepped in there. Exactly. Yeah. You could do, like, dual speed skating, but it's like a three-legged race. <laughs> yeah, you're... <laughs> uh, so you're, like, tied... It's like your legs are tied yeah. together? Yeah, well, you know, one person's right, the other's left leg tied together, and got the other one's free. <laughs> Or it's just like you're at the roller skating rink. You just have the second guy behind, right? Yes. Just one guy's dragging the other guy. And then at some point, everyone stops and does the hokey pokey. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Mike Chirico would be narrating that for sure, right? Actually, that's you know what? That's where they would demote uh, Bob Costas to. All right, let's go to the speed skating rink where... <laughs> you think that would be a demotion? Bonnie Blair is tied to Dan Jansen or something. Well, it's very good. Yeah. Those are two speed skaters yes. from the 90s, right? That's, a, that's actually how Bob got pink eye. Yeah. 
little too close to Dan Jansen there. That's good. Um, so you were hanging out in Indianapolis <laughs> yesterday. It's an easy transition. Tom? Yeah. 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 Uh, tell us. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here with what happened between the Colts and Josh McDaniels. And so you caught up with Frank Reich yesterday. You've spoken with Josh McDaniels. Why did Josh McDaniels go as far as he did where assistants are putting pen on paper, um, which, by the way, if you're going to send a press release out, maybe from now on get the actual signature like the Colts did from Frank Reich. What did you make of that whole situation? Why is Josh McDaniels back with the Patriots? Well, it's clearly unusual because you had a lot of people waiting on Josh McDaniels, whether it was the three assistants who signed contracts with the Colts, whether it was all the other assistants that were getting calls the same morning that McDaniels did not take the job saying, we want you on staff. I didn't speak to McDaniels directly. I talked to somebody close to him, and more or less the explanation I got was it was not about the Colts. There were rumors about he knows something about Andrew Luck's shoulder. It's it's about not wanting to work for Jim Mercy. What I was told was that it was he was he had taken the job. Yeah, you take all that into consideration, right? It's your livelihood. It's your second head coaching job. He wanted to be extraordinarily careful in terms of what he was getting himself into. But he came to terms with all that. He took the job. They announced it. This this does not happen. And then he went to Gillette Stadium to clean out his office, boxes, box up his stuff and go. He ends up meeting with. Robert Kraft, Jonathan Kraft, Bill Belichick for hours. Was it was it a scheduled meeting or was it just like no? It was Josh, and they've been box. talking, of course, but they had never to that point laid out everything in terms of how they felt about him, the process that they saw moving forward for the Patriots organization, and by the end of those meetings, McDaniel's decides I'm going to stay, and he calls Chris Ballard around 7 p.m. Wow. Eastern and says I'm out. Meanwhile, I'm in a cab going to the airport, and then ended up doing all-day television on what in the world happened and where did they go from here. Frank Reich was the first name that popped up, uh, the first name that I heard that he was going to be in the mix and was going to ever request an interview. And it makes a lot of sense because, for one thing, Frank Reich is highly regarded as a human being within the league. You needed somebody who was going to be able to come in there and be a stabilizing type of a force. He just is coming off of the Super Bowl with the Eagles, um, he's you know 56 years old. He's certainly seasoned. He's the oldest first-time head coach hired by an NFL team since Mike Zimmer by the Vikings. But he didn't start coaching till he was like a 44-year-old intern under Tony Dungy with the Colts because he played for a long time. He went into the ministry. He was running a uh, seminary, I believe, at one point, or wow. was high-ranking there and wanted to spend time with his family. Comes back into football. He, not a single team put in a slip for him. I know there was a lot said yesterday about he was. He said he was going. Told his agent he was going dark, and you know he didn't want to interview in the playoffs. That's all fine. That doesn't preclude any team from putting in the slip. Zero slips. Wow. For Frank Reich, because it was viewed as Doug Peterson's offense and Doug Peterson's mastermind. Right. That's part of it. Uh, I think that, and you look at how everything has played out for Reich. He didn't become a coordinator until he was fifty-one. With the Chargers, ends up taking the fall because they weren't very good offensively under Mike McCoy. Gets fired from there, lands with the Eagles, and then yes, he's part of what they were doing. The names you heard, you know, when talking to people around the league from the Eagles, everybody knew naturally there's going to be opportunities for team for coaches from good teams. Same reason Pat Shermer was out there, Matt Patricia, Josh McDaniels. Uh, the names you heard for the Eagles were John D. Filippo and Jim Schwartz as head coaching candidates, and those were the guys who got requests and did interviews. After the season, Reich was somehow the afterthought 
And the only negative thing I heard on him, because everybody said he does have you know certain leadership characteristics, he played the game, he has knowledge, upstanding human being. The only thing I heard was just you know the presence or the command. In other words, uh, being the guy at the front of the room who's presenting. You know, does he have? Uh, there might be some questions there. He certainly you know answered some of those yesterday in terms of the press conference. If that's the same guy he's going to project to the team, but it was almost. And I said this to Frank yesterday: is it's almost like everybody was saying. You're too nice. Like you want a little something to your head coach. You th- he might be too nice sure. for this job. But Tony Dungy was an awfully nice guy. That's the person who gave the first opportunity to Frank Reich in coaching. Under the circumstances for the Colts, this was um as sound of a hire, let's put it that way, as you were going to come up with. They interviewed Leslie Frazier, another guy who upstanding human being, has connections to Tony Dungy. He had been a head coach before, which Reich had not. Uh, And they also interviewed Dan Campbell, who I mentioned earlier, interviewed for the Vikings offensive coordinator job. Campbell's a former player, very tough, raw, good leader, all that stuff, but has not been a coordinator. There's other things that people might want to see from him before he gets that opportunity. Reich makes sense for where they're at. Now the focus solely turns to... What happens with Andrew Luck I mean, and without, his shoulder, yeah, because, and what is, what is he going forward without Andrew Luck? I mean, obviously, like Andrew Luck is such a talent that if the rest of your roster and the organization are questionable or in shambles, like if Andrew Luck is healthy and in his prime, you'll still take the job and take your chances. Without his health, that becomes a less appealing spot. So, what do we know about his status right now? Chris Ballard said he doesn't need further surgery on the shoulder. He said that last week. They have no reason to think that. The two doctors who have examined him don't think that. They think that he is in a good place physically. He's regaining his motion and things like that. His strength is good, but he hasn't picked up a football yet. Now, there's no football games being played in mid-February. He's got time. You're three months out from OTAs and five months from camp. You're still wondering, though. And the thing I heard was they were not trying to, they were not giving any false assurances two head coaching candidates through the interview process, including the first interview process, which included McDaniels and Mike Vrabel, who took another job, Matt Nagy, who took another job, Matt Rule from Baylor was in there, Chris Richard. They didn't tell anybody, like, oh, he's good. Because they don't know. Until Luck gets back on the field, they don't know. But I asked Reich about that yesterday. He said, the same, I got the same update everybody else did. Like, you can't control injuries. You trust the doctors and you trust the player. And, oh, yeah, we just won a Super Bowl with our backup quarterback. It's a different type of a situation. The Colts are not in anywhere close to the same category from a roster perspective as the Eagles. They have so much talent on defense. Howie Roseman, since he rose from the dead, has done a heck of a job putting some of the parts back into place. The Colts lack difference makers on defense. They've not had a running back in a long time. The offensive line is better, but it's still just okay. What you have at the receiver spots opposite T.Y. Hilton, they got a lot of work to do, but... There's few people who are as respected in the league as Chris Ballard as a guy and a talent evaluator. And now you get another respected guy in Frank Reich. It'll be interesting to see whether their bet on this sort of culture and character is something that pays off in a, a, frankly, a very stressful situation where Josh McDaniels was your guy until he decided he wasn't. Yeah, one thing that I think from a Vikings perspective, too, here, because they did hire, you know, uh, one of the most predictable things in sports, especially football, is... If a team has success, other organizations look to hire based on success uh, by uh, association, right? So here's the thing that works, and here's some people that were involved in the thing that works. And you have now, as as a guy who's making those hires, if you're Rick Spielman or any other team, if you're Chris Ballard, you have to figure out, okay, did this guy work at Google? 
Did this guy work at? Sure. Uh, did this guy work? Uh, is it Elon Musk or is it the is it just like a guy that Elon Musk hired? Mm-hmm. And so, is there any concern with either Frank Reich or John DeFilippo that they're getting a lot of credit for for things that either Doug Peterson did or that Carson Wentz was just naturally going to do almost regardless of who his quarterbacks coach and or offensive coordinator were? Would that worry you at all if you're the Vikings or the Colts? Well, if anything, John Filippo got a lot more credit than Frank Reich for what for, happened yeah, in absolutely. Philadelphia, which is... He's also more the, vocal and probably has more of a dynamic personality, right? And that might... They're they're very different as guys. There's no question about it. I think Filippo approaches just the possibility of being a head coach in his preparation for that differently than, than Frank Reich had either. Uh... I mean, certainly you you always look at that, but I don't think that you're micro-focused on just the Eagles and what they did last season. I mean, go back further. I mentioned earlier, DeFilippo working with Jamarcus Russell. Russell was a disaster, but he had his most modestly functional season with DeFilippo as his quarterback coach. So you're going back to that. You're going back to other places that he's been. I leave that off my resume, but point taken, yeah. He's he's going to be motivated. There's no question about it. And if things go to plan, the Vikings are running another offensive coordinator search next year. I mean, they're, they're not sitting here thinking, oh, we got Filippo for the next five years. They're thinking, if he's good and we're a good team, he's probably getting the head coaching job next year that he otherwise uh, would have gotten. But you're right. I mean, separating, I think especially that's true with New England, and everybody always points to how things have gone for Belichick's assistants when they leave the nest. You have to take each of them individually, though. There's no question. Belichick has his fingerprints on everything in the organization, but that offense in in New England is Josh McDaniels. That's him. He's been trained under Belichick. That has a huge influence. Brady has been trained under Belichick, who has taught Brady so much about how defenses operate, and that's a big reason that Brady can function at a, a way higher level. But one thing Belichick learned from his first stop in Cleveland was you need to delegate. You need to let your coaches coach. He brings those guys along. But he does give them responsibilities. Matt Patricia had a big voice in that defense. The defense did not show up in the Super Bowl. And we'll be wondering for at minimum weeks to come as we come up on free agency of the exact circumstances of Malcolm Butler being deactivated in a game where they couldn't cover yeah, anybody. That was bizarre. For the Eagles, it was it was odd. And I think the odder part was Belichick is known as the best adjustment coach in the NFL. You talk to Hall of Fame coaches about him. That's what they'll say is he's marked by the adjustments. They never, they didn't have the answer. The Eagles kept punching offensively, and the Patriots just did not have a counterpunch outside of the one interception, which was just kind of a weird play where Alshon Jeffrey bats it off both his hands and serves up an interception. It's back-to-back weeks for the Eagles. I mean, to do that to, to a Mike Zimmer coach yeah. defense and then a Bill Belichick coach team, let's come back and talk more about the Viking situation involving Kevin Stefanski too because a lot of people are upset that I mean the NFL rules the way they work right now is if you're not a head coach then you're an assistant and you can be blocked from interviewing did the Vikings do Kevin Stefanski wrong do you have a problem with that Tom Pelissero hanging out with us in the TCL broadcast studios it's Mackie and Judd and Doogie with a scoop in 15 minutes Mackie and Judd now continue this was better than a kick in the jaw on 1500 ESPN You think you like freestyle skiing? Johnny Mosley doesn't just like freestyle skiing. He loves it. She comes into the bottom jump here. She's going to throw the D-spin, Trace, the only female in the competition to do this trick. Oh, that's so rad. Skiing, yeah. Bodie Miller. Mogo. Big air. Bindings. 
I think we found another one in our in our quest to make everything a doubles competition, like the doubles lose this morning. Uh, ski jumping, definitely in the mix. I gave you guys this one during the break. I think the Kentucky Derby would be a lot more interesting with a second guy on the horse. There's a lot of opportunities here in the Summer Olympics as well. You doubles tennis with one racket. Wow, so you're both, yeah. Right? Yeah, could see that for sure. How about uh, you're both holding the javelin together? Mm -hmm. That seems a little dangerous. Yeah, timing would be a, a major factor there. Major factor. How high can you get in the doubles high jump? <laughs> or would you jump off the shoulders of somebody else? It's like a chicken fight. <laughs> you do all the track and field events with a guy on your shoulders. How about just doubles swimming? One guy's on the bottom. He's struggling to get air. <laughs> doubles lot diving. Of, I mean, of, they already have that, right? Where there's like two... The Two people. Synchronized diving. Synchronized yeah. diving. But they're not holding each other at the time. <laughs> yeah, they should be tied together at the torso. A lot of opportunities in gymnastics as well. Two guys on the pommel horse. <laughs> two guys, that one pommel sounds horse. like a movie. Yeah, yeah. two guys, one pommel horse. <laughs> two guys, two rings. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep working on those. Keep working. So Kevin Stefanski... <laughs> is the Vikings quarterback's <laughs> coach still. The way the NFL rule works is if you're an assistant coach, whether you whether if you're not a head coach, you're an assistant coach. So if you're a coordinator or if you're if you're the the linebackers coach, you're in the same category in terms of a team being able to block you from an interview right. if you're under contract. So mm -hmm. I said this time earlier in the week to Judd, I think the NFL should change the rule to some degree and just say that if you have a coordinator interview in front of you, now then then the loophole would be well, let's just create another coordinator job. And then NFL teams would just create more coordinator jobs and get Which is get true because different teams have different Correct. structures in terms of their assistance staff. Like like Brad Childress was the spread game analyst or coordinator for the Chiefs. Spread game right? analyst, correct. So you could like you could make that a coordinator job if you wanted to steal somebody. Kevin Stefanski's in his mid thirties. He's on the rise, and he is under a multi year contract. And if the Vikings offense doesn't completely tank, he'll have plenty of opportunities in his life, maybe starting next year, to get a job. I'm not as outraged by it as some people saying that the Vikings have screwed Stefanski and that they're holding him back. He signed a multi-year contract. He's going to be fine. If he's if he's good enough to get a coordinator job, he'll get more looks starting next year. That's my opinion on it. This happens within the league. Not every single time, but it's certainly something that happens. Now, there's other teams that, for instance, the Rams let their offensive coordinator leave this year Matt LaFleur for a different offensive coordinator job. Why? Because he could call plays. And that was not going to happen with the Rams, where he was underneath Sean McVay, who was calling the plays. From the Vikings' perspective, too, don't overlook this. If John Filippo ends up being one and done as the coordinator, don't you still want to have Kevin Stefanski there ready to take over next year? It's got to be brutal to interview for a job and then get passed over for somebody from outside the building when you feel as if yeah. you had a big role in the development of Case Keenum. You've been on staff since the Childress days. You've served all the positions. You know every aspect of the offense. But guess who got blocked last year? John Filippo by the Eagles from interviewing for the Jets' offensive coordinator job. So you're talking about a one-year delay in in terms of moving up. The options would be out there. Maybe Kevin Savansky is the offensive coordinator next year. And Maybe they just think, really like him, and then he gets the opportunity a year from now. And on the outside looking in, I I, I think it's so funny that people think the Vikings, with a cold, calloused approach, like sent an email 
to Stefanski and didn't even like have a conversation saying no. Don't you think there no, was a, a personal length? Right. Correct. Like there's, and my guess is he probably gets more money to stick around. There's a chance. Um, like I'd want to raise if it were me, but it's not like they sent him a text message that just said no. I'm sure there were actual discussions and you know discussions about his future. Hey, if John D. Filippo has a good year and he's going to be head coach, maybe you're our coordinator going forward. I mean, that's probably one of the conversations involving Stefanski as well. If they already interviewed him for the coordinator job. Well, imagine this as well. If you're the Vikings, you might value Kevin Stefanski last year as your second most valuable assistant behind Pat Shermer. So isn't the logical guy to help teach John Filippo exactly what you did, Kevin Stefanski? It's an awkward situation, but it, it's tough to compare this to other jobs. The NFL is not like any other job. The team can fire you before your contract's up too, but they still owe you the money. They're then going to, and I'm not speaking on the Vikings on this, but I know that there are teams in the league who, if they fire a bunch of their assistants, they will regularly be checking in like the unemployment office, being like, yeah. so are you interviewing for the jobs? What are you getting there? What exactly is it? And then making sure that they get that money back for the offsets in your contract. It, it It's a tough business in that regard, but there are worse places to be than quarterbacks coach for a team that is going to have a lot of pressure on that position this year. No team wants to be rated. Okay, the, the Eagles did not want to be rated. I'm sure if John D. Filippo had a contract that went another year instead of an expiring deal, the Eagles would have said, there's no way you're leaving. You're staying as Frank Reich's replacement. But D. Filippo was not going to call plays with the Eagles. I'm sure it came up in his head coaching interviews. Hey, you haven't called plays, at least not with the Eagles, not in recent years. He wanted to go someplace where he got to do that. And he made a point of saying on his conference call, I'm one of the 32 play callers in the NFL. That's something he values, and he knows that's one more piece of the resume that he hopes is going to lead him to a head coaching job sooner than later. Right. What are some of your favorites? So, so right now, the Eagles and the the Patriots are probably the two most prominent and successful football cultures, which can this shift year. from here, right? Right. And that, like, the Seahawks we, we would have been said a few years ago. We tend to refer to culture as who won. Right, exactly. Like, the Seahawks were right. regarded uh, a few years ago. Who are, in your mind, uh, among teams that haven't won a championship recently— what are some of the cultures that you like? I mean, Jacksonville looks like they've taken some big steps forward, obviously. What are some of the maybe under-the-radar teams or organizations or cultures that you think there might be something brewing here in the NFL? That's tough to say because a lot of the time, if it's under the radar, then the coaches are getting fired since a quarter of the league's head coaches turn over on a yearly basis. Yeah. You don't have long to be under the radar before yeah. it starts to become a problem for your employment and your your job security. I think that Atlanta, in the way that they built it under Dan Quinn, they have a very clear focus in terms of what they are, what they're trying to be. They were in the Super Bowl a year ago. I think that you got a firsthand look last year of for all the people blaming Kyle Shanahan for losing the Super Bowl and he was the problem and the friction with Matt Ryan and all that. Kyle Shanahan's unbelievable as a play caller. And once he got a quarterback in San Francisco, you saw him do it there, too. Yes. You saw how hard it was for the Falcons with most of the same pieces back in terms of players to regain that type of momentum under uh, Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator. I think that there's there's just a lot of different teams that do things different ways. I mean, traveling all over the league, and I probably visited, I don't know, 20, 22 teams over the course of the season. You know that no two buildings are the same. They're just vastly different. Being in Indianapolis this past week... That building, it's the most I've been kind of around that building. It's, it's unlike anywhere else in the league. You know, some places feel really big. When you're in the Packers building, it feels really big. When you're in Indianapolis, it feels pretty small. You're in Arizona. 
feels like a pretty you know small environment. Doesn't mean it's good or bad. They're just everybody has kind of their their own vibe. The Patriots are in their own category because the way they approach things are so different. But I was having a, a conversation Super Bowl week with a, a player who's going to be a, a free agent looking for a job right now. And he'd been with several different teams, and he was just giving me the breakdown of some of the teams he'd been with, one of which was the Patriots, and how different it was. Yeah, he was telling one story about Bill Belichick, uh, the way that he would run the team meetings and test rookies right away, throw them into the fire. And, you know, if you didn't know, say, hey, who's the guy? You were sitting at this table at lunch. Who was the guy in the photo on the wall? If the player didn't know, he'd go, Go go back to the lunchroom and come back when you have an answer. Interesting. And the so player would have to, to walk to the other side of the building and go and see, oh, it's Ty Law, and then come back. Wow. So, he's, so attention to detail, looking for recall. Know what's going on around you and understand how everything else works, which is kind of part of playing in that defense. You have to have a lot of communication and understanding where other people are going to be. Nobody else, I don't think, does things exactly that way. But you know, in Seattle, they have a basketball hoop in the team meeting room, and they'll just shoot hoops. They'll have competitions. Different different guys run it differently. That's when you have coaches coming in and like in Buffalo, Sean McDermott got rid of was it the ping pong table or the pool table or whatever was in the locker room? Got rid of it. Yeah. There's still places that have bean bags in the locker rooms or ping pong or whatever. Different different coaches, different organizations just do things differently. Yeah. What um what about doubles weightlifting? We're getting more suggestions for doubles Olympic sports. Is that where one guy's lifting the other guy? No, I think it would be like both of you are on the same bar for the deadlift. One's just behind the other. <laughs> I don't know if that works out. How about uh, how about double surfing? We're getting a bunch of suggestions here from people. They have surfing. Apparently, apparently the Summer Olympics has surfing. No, they. I don't. mean, we're just, I'm just reading suggestions here. I mean, maybe they don't televise it unless someone gets that eaten by like a shark. Uh, double cycling. Don't they have that? Don't they have like the double? I think they might actually oh, do they have do a tandem bike? I think they might actually have that. I was that, thinking yeah. one saddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Josh points out on Twitter here, sledding is more fun with a pal. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's get Doogie in here. Speaking of double sledding. Uh, he's a guy I'm sure that loves double sledding and he might have information on the twins and their trade talks with the Rays, Chris Archer. What might the twins do? Are they going to add a pitcher? Tom Pelissero in for Judd. It's Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie. I like his odds of, uh, of replacing somebody on TNT. Judd Zolgad. Just a genuinely awesome guy. Very giving of his time. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studios where Tom Pelissero is in for Judd today, vacationing Judd, and Doogie is here with all kinds of juicy nuggets, I hope, about the Twins and what's going on, Doogie? Well, Welcome juicy is subjective. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Happy Hump Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, can I, let's just start here. Uh, you know, we can we can sit here and speculate on Chris Archer, and I'd love any information you have, but if the Twins don't do something to add a playoff rotation caliber pitcher to their team... They can for sure forget about the Astros and Yankees and you know the Indians and those teams. I think they can for sure forget about playoffs too. If they don't add a significant arm before the season, they're not making the playoffs in my mind. Their pitching's not good enough. Their starting pitching's not good enough. I think I agree with you. Now Irvin Santana should only miss, you know, because they can skip 
the fifth starter because they play multiple opening days, two on the road, one here. So then you have the built-in off day the next day. They have some other off days in April. You know, Irvin Santana should be back sooner rather than later. That okay. is not but there might I don't be remember some what the initial diagnosis was, but he should be back sooner than I think what was put out there. But even so, I agree with you. I think even with Irvin Santana, they don't have enough pitching. Here's what I can tell you. From what I can gather at this moment, now this could change. This is fluid, but what I can gather at this moment is they've yet to make Alex Cobb an offer. They've yet to make Lance Lynn an offer. They've yet to make Jake Arietta an offer. So I don't know who they favor. Jason Vargas is another name on their radar. Chris Tillman, Wade Miley, all these free agents. But from what I can gather, they've yet to make any of those guys a formal offer. The only guy they made a formal offer to was you, Darvish. Yes, trade dialogue with Tampa. I had that on the Scoop podcast last week about Max Kepler. Tampa absolutely loves Max Kepler, but it would take so much more. Also, Tampa does want you to take Denard Span's contract. I'm Denard Span is the fourth outfielder in Tampa. I know he's from Tampa, but what the heck do the Rays need Denard Span for at $13 million over the next couple of years? $9 million this year, then a $4 million buyout after the year. I'm okay with that. I mean, I especially if you're moving Kepler. To me, Denard Span is either your left fielder or your right fielder. In all likelihood, your right fielder. But yeah. Byron Buxton can can cover some of that ground. I mean, I, I get it. He's at 34-35. He doesn't move like he used to. But Denard Span would be fine. I'd have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, he can still play a little bit. So what, what do you think, if they're really engaged in these conversations and Max Kepler is one of the pieces that the Tampa wants, what what else do you think? Like if, if you went to Tampa and said, all right, we know that four years of Archer at $35 million total is a ton of value. And so we're not going to shortchange you. We're not going to insult you. But you're not getting Royce Lewis and you're not getting Barrios or Buxton. We'll give you Kepler. And then you can literally pick any two or three other prospects. So if, if, they, if the Rays wanted Kepler, Gonsalves, Nick Gordon, and something else, I do that immediately if I'm the Twins. Do you think the Rays would? Like, where do you think the conversations yeah, are? Yeah, I would do it, too, if I were the Twins. The Rays have yet to show a real willingness to actually want to move Chris Archer. These talks go back to November. I get it, you know, when the local big newspaper puts out a story, then MLB Trade Rumors picks it up. It's a big deal. So it's one heck of a talker now. The Twins have had dialogue with the Rays going back to the general managers' meetings in November, often on dialogue for a long time. They floated Miguel Sano's name to Tampa. I can tell you, Tampa doesn't have interest in Miguel Sano. They don't think he's hmm. a third baseman in two years. Yeah, You know, forget the the investigation, the pending investigation. They just don't look at him as, as that valuable. A guy that strikes out a lot. Heck, Tampa needs to score more runs. They need guys that can get on base. Hitting home runs isn't an issue for Tampa, even though the roster with Morrison likely gone, Longoria gone, the roster is... Is changing down there significantly, but they're looking for guys that can get on base. They just they don't have interest in Sano. The Twins would do Sano for Chris Archer today. Oh the my Tampa god! Yeah. Rays are not doing that. Yeah, that would well. That's, it would be four years of Sano or four years of Archer. I'll take the pitcher, especially if I don't think he's a third baseman long term. So that that would make some sense that the Twins would be kicking the tires on on trading Sano. So in the end, I mean, is are there any other options that we're not thinking? I mean, forget about Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb, Chris Archer. I mean, Jake Arrieta. Is it then down to a Jaime Garcia? Is, is there anything creative? Yeah, I mean, they've talked to his agent. Because he's not a needle-moving guy no, at this point. No, he doesn't move so, the needle. 
You know, what's the... I mean, heck, I thought, you know, a guy like Patrick Corbin in Arizona, who Arizona would move for the right offer, I thought he'd be a guy that they'd have some interest in. I'm told by an Arizona source, no dialogue there. Yeah. I mean, is it possible Danny Duffy? I don't know. that. That's me speculating. But have they talked to the Royals about Duffy? You know, is there somebody else out there? Does Toronto eventually budge on Marcus Stroman? I don't think so right now. Maybe in season or next winter. I don't know. I mean, I think at this point, you know, I've been going back and forth. I've been waffling for a while because for a while I said, I think they actually make a trade. And now at this point, with all these free agents sitting out there, I think they eventually just sign one of these guys. But you have to make an offer. And from what I can gather, they haven't made any offers yet Man. outside of the Darvish offer. Man. Uh, Doogie's with us. Pelicero in for Judd today. It's the scoop segment here in the TCL broadcast studios. All right. Uh, I don't think the audience needs to hear another Andrew Wiggins rant from me, but... I was at the game last night, and that was not only was it just a bad shooting night. It's just everything with him. It's body language. It's if you if you can't score, do something else. And you're you're playing against one of the best teams in the NBA. And Wiggins was this is the worst he's been probably in the last two years. And it was it was embarrassing. And they lost that game in part because Houston's just amazing, and it's a math equation. They're just going to hit more three pointers than you can keep up with. But you know, like if you're going to start paying a guy twenty five or thirty million dollars a year, and that contract kicks in next year, I just need more on the interest and energy and engagement front from him, and that's been the knock for years on Wiggins going back to even high school and college. So yeah, I mean, it's what the do knock people think about him and the organization? Those close to him and the organization, they still believe in him. I mean, he'll turn twenty three here in a couple days, like eight nine days. So they still view him as as relatively young, even though. In NBA terms, he has played how many games? Like, at what point are you no longer considered young? You know, also, by the way, in Houston, they get to the free throw line. They make free throws. I mean, that's the one thing the Wolves normally have the advantage over the opponent in is free throws attempted, free throws made. The Wolves get to the free throw line at an incredible rate. Well, so does Houston. So, yeah, the Wolves are not in the same stratosphere as the Rockets. Yeah, I mean, last night was was bad. I can't defend him on last night. I do think, and from communicating with enough people in the league, there are people noticing that he is giving a bit more effort defensively this year. If you want to go either eye test or the metrics, you know, the numbers are out there that he is better defensively this year, you know, deflecting passes, blocking shots, hustling. But yeah, when you're paying him max money, you need a bit more. Here's what I'll tell you on Wiggins, because I saw it last night all over Twitter that Tom Thibodeau is taking all this heat, right, for, you know, why didn't you move Wiggins, right? You could have moved Wiggins how many different times? Why did you give him the extension? I think people forget, conveniently forget. And heck, I love the owner, right? The owner is an open book, like no other owner in the league, maybe in all of sports. So I always appreciate Glenn Taylor's openness. But Glenn is the one who said, we're not trading Andrew Wiggins. Somebody close to Tibbs, who knows Tibbs incredibly well, told me that the other day. That Tibbs had an open mind. He wasn't necessarily, hey, we have to do Wiggins for Jimmy Butler, or we don't have to. But Tibbs had an open mind that, okay, if we can keep the seventh pick, you know, we want Markinen, Lori Markinen. Hey, Levine and Markinen isn't so bad. But it was ownership who said initially, tell Chicago Wiggins is off limits. So it was very early in those trade talks. God. The Wolves told the Bulls, you cannot get Andrew Wiggins. I'm just telling you, though. Tibbs had somewhat of an open mind. I'm told Tibbs had an even more open mind with the Cavs trade talks with Kyrie oh Irving. Oh, my God, Doogie. And that went up the oh ladder to God. ownership. Ownership is always involved. Heck, 
read ESPN.com's 24-hour review of of the Cleveland Cavaliers from right up until the deadline. I think it was Woj. You know, I mean, he's laying out that the Lakers couldn't even do the deal they did. You know, bringing in Isaiah Thomas, the key for the Lakers was getting Cleveland's first-round pick. But sending out Jordan Clarkson, $25 million of Clarkson's contract. He's not a bad player, but sending out the contract. And Larry Nance Jr., that Lakers ownership had to approve that deal. That it's not just Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka. That it goes up the ownership chain. So trust me. The Wolves are having back and forth with the Cavs. Wiggins' name comes up, so the Wolves could have had could have had two. I don't know sniper three point shooters uh, and Zach Levine's maybe. upside, or Kyrie Irving potentially if they, had they put Wiggins on the table. Maybe I mean I and don't then know you had the Jeff Teague thing, and it would have been weird. But in you the figure end, it out. I don't know. Maybe the Cavs say, you know what, what Boston was offering was just too good. That Brooklyn first round pick is too valuable. But I can just tell you, there's a lot of people in the league that said at the time. There's no way the Cavs wanted to trade Kyrie Irving to their number one rival in their conference. They traded Kyrie Irving to the Boston Celtics. They didn't really want to do that. If LeBron was annoyed by the six guys that were sent out, imagine if you had to ink Wiggins to a a five-year max and then put him on that team with LeBron, and then you can't move the contract. That would have been really interesting. Wiggins and LeBron this season with all the turmoil in Cleveland, but... Wow. I do think eventually, maybe it's a year from now, you know, the poison pill was in play. So you weren't moving Wiggins right now anyway. But a year from now, 18 months from now, whether it's the Toronto Raptors, hometown Toronto Raptors, somebody. I don't think it's impossible to eventually move Wiggins if you want to. You should try this offseason. Honest to God, you should try this offseason. You could tell me. I mean, you need to give me specifics. Who are you getting in return? Are you just getting out from under the contract? And Like a a bench guy who can shoot threes and play defense, even. Like, he's just, I don't know. I don't need to rant again, but he's... I do think it's recency bias, though, and Levine kicking their butt last week. I've always, you know me, though. I've said for two years that Zach Levine is the better player than Andrew Wiggins. It's about, can Wiggins fulfill his upside? And if the answer is no, I'll take the harder worker, the guy who's a better shooter, a more efficient offensive player. If both are going to be questionable on D, like I'll take the guy who's a gym rat. I'll take the guy who shows emotion and can knock down a three-pointer to you know, to ice a game. I mean, that's, that's Zach Levine. I mean, don't forget. I mean, Sam Mitchell said this a number of times. They had to take away Levine's key fob to Mayo Clinic Square. They had to tell him, you need to go home. Yeah. Stop being here. So, yes, I mean, I would take Levine's work ethic 10 out of 10 times. Wiggins' work ethic doesn't touch Levine's. I'm just saying, though, I'm not quite sure Levine and Jimmy Butler is a great match. So if you're just making the leap that you could have Levine instead of Wiggins, now Markinen would help, right? I mean, you'd love to have Laurie Markinen right now, you know, keeping that seventh pick. But I'm just saying, I don't know if Levine and Butler – is the greatest fit. Not that Wiggins and Butler is a great fit, but I'm not quite sure Levine and Butler is a great fit. Yeah. Good stuff, Dukes. If you want more, Doogie has a lot more where that came from on his regular Scoop podcast, iTunes, 1500ESPN.com, wherever you would find podcasts. So, all right. Good stuff. You got it, boys. Take it easy. Good to see you, Tom. Yeah, I said a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, though? This is the beauty of coming in here at 1245, three hours and 45 minutes into this four-hour extravaganza. (laughs) You've hit a wall. I'm I've spent. been in that chair. Fourth You're quarter. Spent. Fourth quarter. So I came Come in on. here to rescue you. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. You can help fight type 1 diabetes by joining 1500 ESPN and Channel 5 and 45 at Mall of America. Saturday, February 24th. 
for the JDRF One Walk. Join Team KSTP, co-captained by 1500 ESPN's Phil Mackey, as well as Chris Eggert and Megan Newquist from Channel 5, and help us raise money for Type 1 Diabetes Research. All team members receive a free Team KSTP t-shirt. For more details and to join up, head to 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Together, we can turn Type 1 into Type None. Thank you, Dave. Few more minutes here. Pelissero has uh, held it down in place of Judd, and uh, the Juddbot three thousand also has been a prominent feature on the show today. When Judd's not here, we need someone to pick up the torch and rant about the Wild. Here's the issue with this team: you're at home against the Rangers, who are a bad team. You take a three to nothing lead, which you should. Good for you. Now it's time to step on their throats. Not let them get back in the game like this bunch of dogs always does. Here's my problem with the Wild. The problem is this. This team simply cannot put a complete game together for three periods. There's always one period where they play like absolute crap. I mean, they won the game, so maybe the Judbot 3000 should put a smile on, be a little bit more happy. Judbot 3000 always needs more grit and effort. Yep, for sure. For sure. Needs that likable bunch. Yeah, that's the only thing that the Judbot 3000 didn't complain about today. The (laughs) unlikability of the roster. Uh, You guys ever have, like... Either horror Uber stories or like you're in a questionable situation, a car that you like an Uber driver or a cab driver and you're you feel like your life is flashing in front of your eyes. Because I had one of those last night leaving the Target Center. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Tom, is, you're at airports all the time and traveling around. So I'm assuming you have plenty of opportunities for, for Uber stories. I just have the paranoia constantly. That whether it's Uber, taxi, whatever, the person's going to drive away with my bags. Yeah. So I always do the leave the passenger door open while you walk around to the back. Yeah. Lest the guy just call. be like beta mode, throw it in drive and, and cruise gone. off with your suitcase. <laughs> so I have a choose your own adventure. Like I reached a fork in the road last night that I want. I want to know what you guys would have done. <laughs> so the game is ending at Target Center and we decide let's take the Skyway a couple blocks down. And let's get away from all the the cluster bleepiness of right outside Target Center and Kieran's. And like that's where everyone's trying to get picked up. Let's go a couple blocks down to the Embassy Suites lobby. And then we can just flag an Uber from there. We can just you know log into the app. So first driver, it says 10 minutes. He's coming from like northeast Minneapolis area, just coming down central. Be there in 10 minutes. He doesn't. And you can follow this on the app, like on the map. He doesn't move for the first 10 minutes. And so I text him and I say, hey, like through the app, are you coming downtown? Because if not, like if you cancel it, it's five bucks on you. Right, which is why you always cancel it if the person doesn't move within four minutes because you have five minutes to cancel. Okay, so I didn't know that. That's critical. Always pull the trigger sooner than later. Okay, so he starts then driving after I text him, gets all the way downtown. So another 10 minutes, now we've been waiting 20 minutes, gets all the way downtown, cancels on us. Probably saw surge pricing and said, I'm going to get out of this and get into something better. All right. Well, the next driver is only two blocks away. It just hands off to another driver. That guy misses the embassy suites. It's a one-way. And then apparently says, bleep it, and just starts driving to St. Paul. <laughs> like, we're following on the map, and he's just like, oh, maybe he'll turn around this way. Turn. He, he got on the freeway and just, like, kept going to the east. And so, again, I hit cancel. After a few minutes, another $5 charge. And now we're frustrated, about to order a third Uber, and it's been like over a half hour at this point. And some guy pulls up outside the embassy suites downtown in like a 1999 
Mitsubishi looking, like a Mitsubishi Mirage from the late 90s. <laughs> like you could smell the smoke coming out of the vehicle. He goes, you guys need a ride? I'm not your Uber driver. I freelance. Cash only. Do you get in? No. Not a chance. No. no. Nope. We did. <laughs> we did. He spent the first 30 seconds telling a story about how he got fired from Uber last week for being accused of racism and told this entire story going like 50 miles an hour in 30 zones going through red lights as we clung to life in the back seat. That is bold because you were probably the 700th person that he asked and you're the first one who took it. So I'm alive. Thank you, Tom, for joining the show. Back tomorrow, Maggie and Jen.